0: All right, welcome back to twibbly or this week was way better last year my name is bill with one l with me he's loving it <laughs> jeff make large huge
1: i I'm, I'm supersizing it yes <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it in the
0: supersize mm, and guess what? what shake machines down ah oh, damn it <laughs> still or again yes how you doing? What's going on? You all right?
1: No, it's 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 actually uh, it's good. As um, everything's good and as you as you introduced me with the corporate jingle of note, I uh, <laughs> it immediately made me think of of how I've slowly worked one of their offerings back into my regular menu, so, strangely enough. Yeah, like uh, I eat the old person sandwich there now. Like I get the flao fish, a coffee, Every now and then,
0: you're a Catholic vegetarian.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm a pescatarian, so I still eat fish. But yeah, that's okay. That's kind of where I am now in my life's journey. Is that when I'm super duper hungry because I'm running around doing a million errands? It's like well, I'll go to McDonald's and I'll get me one of them filet fish sandwiches and a coffee, which is exactly what my grandmothers used to get, and they were <laughs> both old when they got them.
0: Yeah, I uh, I was I was brought up Catholic, so. Filet fish was part of my uh, my regularly scheduled diet until yep. I think uh, I, I'm gonna say I officially left the church. I was in my mid 20s, but I think I like stopped abiding by the uh, the no meat on Friday thing. I was still a teenager. I was like, yeah, right. I can't see a God putting me in hell for all eternity for a bologna sandwich,
1: right? And, well, I mean, there's only 2% meat in a bologna sandwich anyway, so oh, yeah. you, probably, you probably were hedging your bets a little bit. Damn it, you're strict! <laughs> <laughs> and if you buy the really inexpensive bologna, I think they just show it a picture of an animal before they grind up whatever <laughs> sawdust and flavorings are going in there.
0: Uh, yeah, I have not had a filet of fish sandwich in a, oh, like I said, a long, 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 long time. Um, they're good. They're good. They're so I, good. I have recently discovered, because I've been, you know, eating at home, and I haven't had McDonald's since, going to be close to a year now. Right. I have discovered the majesty that is Russian dressing. Oh. And- if you have a food processor or a blender of some sort and you get some pickles, or if you're lazy and you just get some relish and throw it in with your Russian dressing, you got yourself Big Mac sauce. Oh,
1: hey, look at that.
0: I'm, I'm just making everything I cook taste like a Big Mac now.
1: <laughs> this big broccoli big, the, tastes the just Mc-a-mill. like a Big Mac. Yes, that's, that's awesome. Oatmeal, big oatmeal.
0: <laughs> it's a
1: Big Mac oatmeal. Big, <clears throat> big Mac oatmeal. Goes great on the
0: old waffles. All right, let's just say... Hypothetically. Hypothetically. We're either rewinding, you know, five, ten years. Well, let's, let's rewind twenty five years, whenever dietary concerns weren't any of a concern. Right. What was you what was you go to McDonald's? What was you go to, Yum? Okay,
1: twenty-five years ago, but my go to is up until the Phileo fish uh thing. I always liked the fileto fish, but my go to for the most part was the quarter pounder with cheese. That was my that was my favorite. However, mm-hmm. they have in their history had specialty sandwiches that they had for short times, like they had like a cheddar and onion burger with this weirdly non-naturally colored orange cheddar cheese, yep. which were fantastic. And I used to love the McDLT, which is probably why the Earth is, you know, slowly but surely crumbling into destruction because it used 17 metric tons of styrofoam to make the container.
0: <laughs> if you ever meet Jason Alexander, just say thank you. I will. Okay, yeah, he was, was in the commercial. Yeah, yeah, he was the guy of yeah, yeah, right. the, the commercial, right? I, I do love Big Macs. Hence hence me making uh Big Mac casserole over here. Yeah. But my go to over there for the you know, on the cheap was two double cheeseburgers and a McChicken sandwich, right?
1: That's like seven thousand calories of
0: Oh yeah, hold on. Right? That's that's <laughs> that's where the punchline comes in, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So, yes, yes. So, you know, I go through uh different, you know, dietary stuff over the course of the year because you know i go to the gym a lot and then there's bike riding season so right. the, you know there's you know bulking season and yep. slim down season blah 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 so there was one day i was on a bowling league and i and i didn't have time to make any food so i stopped off at mcdonald's and i got that you know two double cheeseburgers and a McChicken. and it was just sitting in my stomach like a like a wet book just just sitting there right Yep. So my friend Devin was like, "What's what's up with you?" Because he could tell I wasn't looking. I didn't look so good. He go, "I told him what I ate." He goes, "Oh, the Widowmaker." <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Widowmaker, and, indeed.
0: Um, at one point, Wendy had put out a triple single cheeseburger. Yeah, I remember that. Right? Yeah, we nicknamed that the mother. <laughs> right? <laughs> you had to get it with everything on it. Although right. I would always take the tomatoes out because it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And then you had to get the large fry or the biggie or whatever and a large soda and you had to finish it. That was like our contest when we were, uh, right. you know, wild and crazy about our diets. Right. We got so used to calling it the mother that my friend Rich went to the drive-in and asked for it by name. <laughs> and the woman was like, excuse me. <laughs> oh. So, all right. But this kind of leans into our trivia question for this week. Oh. So do you remember the jingle from McDonald's? I'm going to say 80s. You deserve a break today at McDonald's. Remember that? Yep. Um, Do you remember from the 70s? I am stuck on Band Aid because Band Aid stuck on me. Yes. Remember that? Okay. And like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All of those television jingles were all written by the same person. Oh. It's somebody you would know. It's a, huh. it's a famous person. Yep.
1: A famous person wrote those three jingles.
0: Yep. All three of them.
1: All three of them.
0: All three. Yeah. Actually, he's written quite a bit, but those three are probably the most notable ones.
1: All right. I have no idea who this is, so. Uh, all right.
0: Well, you all going to have to right. wait. Well, at, the end,
1: at the end of the day, the end of the show, I'll,
0: yeah. I'll be humiliated once more.
1: That's right. By another trivia question here.
0: All right, so let's uh, let's make a show. Let's have a podcast. You're going to start this week? We'll let you yes. start this week. <laughs> we'll let you uh, start this, is this week. Yep, this is the week beginning December the 14th. What do you
1: got? December the 14th, 1987. Chrysler, the car company.
0: Jesus, Chrysler.
1: Jesus, Chrysler. The car company that was still alive after a giant government loan in 1980 pleads no contest to selling cars that had been previously driven as brand new so what this means is like they were testing the k-car you remember the k-car
0: bill i remember there being a k-car all right so it, the k-car K re- was, was a whole
1: platform that chrysler developed with government u.s government money and it was meant to meet uh, federal safety and emission standards it was a low-powered small car that was supposed to help fight like help help fight off Toyota and and at the time Datsun that became Nissan and and Japanese imports, and get good gas mileage and be attractive. So they're like sort of squarish. They look like Homer Simpson's car, right?
0: I, I think and- they failed in the be attractive part, right? <laughs>
1: they they did but the platform <laughs> itself was used in a whole bunch of cars so it was used it was the k hey. platform so it was used in the pla- it was using the omni which was their subcompact it was used in the k cars or the reliant k yeah. it was used in the the chrysler new yorker that was a stretched version of the k platform so it was a front wheel drive so what happened was they were still testing the longevity of these cars so they disconnected the speedometer and let him specific employees take them out and they did 60 they did the 60,000 times so 60,000 uh, cars were driven from like one day to five or six weeks they were then sent out into market with all new cars It was called the overnight evaluation program so what they did was they they brought back they got surveys from the employees like did you like this car yes did it drive well it was fine did it smell like a dead raccoon on the inside it certainly did
0: and did you take a quarter so fast it went up on two wheels? prefer not to answer
1: so right somebody gets stopped and the pool the officer that stopped him asked Do you know how fast you're going and he said funny you should mention that no because but the odometer and speedometer cables aren't connected in these cars so uh, <laughs> that ended up on the news
0: that's reminiscent of the volkswagen controversy there from a couple of years ago
1: Right, well, these Which, cars yeah. get forty-five miles to the gallon and don't produce any emissions, but they but they're <laughs> diesels. No, but they're Volkswagen diesels. Like all the more reason to worry that they're producing even more emissions than usual, <laughs> as we know from our past history with the, the People's Car Company. But yeah, same sort of thing. And what happened was like f- f- all these people ended up. They were able. They published a list, I think, of the VIN numbers yep. of all the cars that have been used in this program, and all of these cars were out in the world. So yeah, a car that's got forty thousand miles on it. In the era when cars maybe limp ahead to 85,000 miles before they just collapse into a big pile of rust and colored paint, you know, are having all these car problems that are, like, problems that a car that has 40,000 miles on it has. But this car only has 50 miles on it. Like, it doesn't make any sense to the customers. (laughs) So... So they got, they got fined, and they had to pay $7.6 million for it.
0: Why are my brakes completely worn out at 75 miles?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I've never seen it. Like, it needs a head gasket. It's only got t- 250 <laughs> miles on it. Yeah, well, 250 miles plus 60,000 miles is what it actually has.
0: Yeah. Uh, you said, you know, uh, some people drove around for a day. Some people drove it out a little longer. What was, like, do you know, like, what the average?
1: I don't know what like- the average was, but it says, it says in the story, like, one day to five or six weeks. So imagine you're driving around for like six weeks. And I think that was probably the length, the full length of the program. Like you can borrow this car for six weeks and then we'll, we'll not, certainly not put it on a truck with a bunch of actual new cars and try and sell it. But that's it. That's exactly what they
0: did. So, I mean, I know that I drove to California and back in 13 days. So, I mean, (laughs) yeah, if, if somebody gave me a car that I don't have to worry about the maintenance on it, I'd be like. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, road trip, oh, guys. I, I,
1: I guarantee there was some some incidents where it's like, well, hey, you know what? We're we're gonna go on vacation. We're gonna drive to Disney World from Michigan. You know, I'll just get, I'll just take a K car. We can have it for like four weeks, and we'll go tour the South after we go to Disney because I've got all this vacation time. And they did, you know. <laughs> so they bring back the car it has got twenty two thousand miles on it because it's done nothing but nonstop drive around.
0: Hey, you want just... to do the New York to Paris road race?
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, there we go. I, I love it.
0: Let's, let's start the
1: snowstorm. Let's go. Yes. So and it, yep. it got Chrysler into a surprisingly large amount of trouble. And amazingly enough, though they weathered it, it was bad PR. It made Lee Iacocca look like the biggest idiot ever, uh, and it got piled on because of the money that they had borrowed from the government to stabilize their the value of their company and to develop the k-car platform and yet they you know they continued on after that it, it didn't deep six their company the same way it probably would have had it been 10 years earlier you know what i mean so interesting stuff and it doesn't keep car companies from doing horrible things i mean They all do calculus that's like, you know, like the Ford Pinto. Well, it probably costs less to pay the families of the dead people than it does to fix all the gas tanks on the Pintos, (laughs) right? And for General Motors more recently, when they had the the issue where the key would just jump out of the ignition switch and the steering wheel would lock while you're doing like 75 miles an hour on the highway, you know, the fix for that one is like a, a fund (laughs) to pay out victims and then a little key fob thing that you attach that is supposed to prevent the keys from jumping out i've always maintained that i don't necessarily want to buy a car from a company that i know will skimp on a rubber bushing that costs less than half a cent to prevent the battery acid from spraying all over me when i touch the windshield wiper knob
0: there was something like that with the uh with toyota too where the uh the cruise control would just like kick in
1: yeah because i remember
0: making the joke that the cars are literally just driving right off the lot Right,
1: yes. <laughs> and, and like that happened with Toyota with, I think when you were the Camry, unintended acceleration, and then there was the Audis that would like run over. It would just, it would just, it wouldn't fall into gear, but you had to like have your foot on the brake to put it in gear. And that didn't always engage right. And the car would like shoot forward or shoot backwards seven feet and squash somebody. And cars are dangerous, man. We need more trains. That's <laughs> that's the point I'm getting to.
0: Moving on. December the 15th, 1979. Let's see if I can say this guy's name right. Chris it looks like Hanny, Chris Hanny, and Scott Abbott developed the game Trivial Pursuit.
1: I love that game.
0: It was called the Genius Edition, the one that you know that everybody bought the big, the big yes. blue box. So many people I know called it the called Genius it the Edition. the Genius
1: Edition, yeah, because no one can read.
0: Yeah. yeah, a lot of those questions were freaking hard. Yep,
1: I used to love that, and I used to love that game. We would play it as a family when my whole. The whole dad side of my family would go skiing once a year. We'd all chip in and like rent condominiums for a weekend. Yeah. And that game always came with us and there was a lot of a lot of trivial pursuiting after the slopes closed and the food started to flow, so did the alcohol. It was always super fun. And it was a game that I started to play again too as I started to grow into being an adult with my friends. Because it's a fun game to play with a group and you want to get together. You can't play it by yourself. Right. You have to have other people. And it sucks playing it with one other person because that just leads to fury. But
0: if you play (laughs) with like
1: five or six people or teams of five or six people, I mean, you can, it's scalable
0: to any size. Right, right, right.
1: And and it's really fun. And it's really, really well designed and and compelling.
0: And trivia, uh, that became like super, super popular after that too. There was all sorts of like books that you could buy. And there was a, there was a video game. I don't know if you remember that. There was a video game called Facts. F-A-X. That yeah, was a video game based on trivia questions.
1: What was the one that was... Uh,
0: there was one with a funny name. I can't remember. I played it at your house.
1: Oh, You Don't Know Jack. Yeah, that's it.
0: You Don't Know Jack. That was another yeah. trivia game. Yep, yeah. that was that was based on trivia questions, too. That was much later, though. But Fax was like a, a quarter, much an arcade game. F-A-X. Oh,
1: no, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. If I was putting quarters in a game, it wasn't so I could read.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I I literally had forgotten all about it until I just started talking now because I have all these like, you know, I have all these like emulators and stuff like that. I gotta look to see if I have the emulation for that one, and then I won't play it.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and then you won't play. Yep. Too much read for my brain.
0: Yeah. There's uh. There's all sorts of like different versions of Trivial Pursuit too. Like there's a the Star Wars one and the Star Trek one and yeah. That was Simpsons that was the way they
1: built it. longevity into the game, right? Is they compartmentalized. I remember there was one for the 80s that I think I have downstairs. There's a Simpsons mm-hmm. one that I have. E- even in the first after the Genesis edition. You know, there was the 70s and there was like the 60s and they broke them up by year and right. there was a history one. And there it made for that kind of fun expansion that if you had people that you regularly played with, the game would be almost infinitely replayable. I think that's, that sort of model is what's been picked up and, and capitalized really well on by things like Cards Against Humanity and some of the other games that have become group play games geared towards people older than 18 or 17.
0: There was a piece of heartbreak attached to my brother and Trivial Pursuit. My brother pulled a card. My, my brother loves Batman, right? Always has, ever since he was a kid. I have a picture of my brother at three years old, before I was even born, holding a Batman plushie. He had a Trivial Pursuit card, and he showed it to me. He kept it in his wallet. And it said, What television action show started on January 13th, 1966? And, it, you know, the Batman TV show. My brother's birthday is January 13th, 1966. He's like, dude, it came out on my birthday. How freaking awesome is that, right? So years later, he goes and he meets Adam West, and he's telling him about his birthday and all that. And then as he's talking, Bert, Bert Ward like leans in and says, uh, actually, it was the 12th. <laughs> That's terrible. Right? It was either the 12th or the 14th. It was either the day after or the day before my brother's birthday, whatever it was. Yeah, Trivia Pursuit screwed up. They had the wrong answer. Robin from Batman just like, Took a in my brother's Cheerios that morning. I feel like we morning. should
1: do this in Robin speak, like "Holy misplaced dates, Batman!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my brother like. Hates <laughs> oh, him, that's so, was so right. funny! And poor Adam West must have been yeah. standing like. So you like Batman, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Almost happy birthday. <laughs> How long have you liked Batman, Robin, old chum? You seem to have destroyed <laughs> this man's spirit. God, make him feel better.
0: Give. Get him
1: a glass of buttermilk. (laughs) Where's Chief O'Hara? Am I wearing (laughs) pants? How old am I now, Robin?
0: Great Caesar's ghost. (laughs) Uh,
1: I tell your brother on his birthday. That's actually my brother Aaron's birthday as well as uh, January thirteenth.
0: All right, moving on.
1: December sixteenth, nineteen sixty-six. Jimi Hendrix Experience releases its very first single. Which I'm sure all of you think is like, are you experienced or something or fire, but it's not. It's it's Hey Joe. The first song I remember really reacting to the first time I really heard a Jimi Hendrix album
0: was. See, was I would have guessed of the a pride Mary.
1: Yep. Nope. It was it was Hey Joe. He's going down to shoot his old lady.
0: I have a funny story about that song. One of our one of my favorite and your favorite, I'm sure too, uh, topics is the Satanic Panic of the 1980s. Oh yeah.
1: I was trying to describe uh, that to my children. I don't know a few weeks back, and they just kept looking at me and making those like the strange Spock like eyebrows. Like what? These yeah. things that you describe make no sense, Dad.
0: Boy, was everybody stupid? Yes, everybody. Yeah. So like like you and I had gone to see like one of those satanic panic preachers and stuff like that, and there was another one, and I'm gonna guess he's from around here because the guy's name was Joe Vieira.
1: Very New Bedford name that that name.
0: Yeah. And uh, somebody at work had given me cassettes of this guy's lecture on the Satanic Panic to listen to. I listened to the tape for like a a minute and I gave it right back to the guy. And I was like, I can't listen to this. This guy's lying. He's like, what do you mean he's lying? He said that he used to be a roadie for Jimi Hendrix. Well, how do you know that he wasn't? And he said that he had caught his wife cheating on him and that he was going to go kill her. And that's... You know, he's the Joe in "Hey Joe." Jimi Hendrix wrote that song about him. Right. He's like, yeah. How do you know that's not true? I go because Jimi Hendrix didn't write that song. <laughs> it, that song's it, probably older than Jimi yeah. Hendrix himself.
1: Yeah, that song. That that's song, on, He adapted it from uh, the you know the original lyrics were that for uh, his manager at the time was actually it was Joe. It was it was like Joe Smithers and he and the original lyrics were "Hey Joe, you got to get me off this monkey's tour." Hey Joe, I'm gonna kill Mike Nesmith with my guitar stand next.
0: I can't believe I left James Brown's band for this. <laughs> the, the original Hey Joe song actually like is so old they don't even know who wrote it. Right? It was
1: yeah. it was it's originally old... done in cave paintings.
0: <laughs> it's a yeah, it's originally in French apparently. Hey, it's a,
1: it's a hand. And then there's a there's a rock, and then there's a
0: there's two stick figures,
1: and then there's another rock, and then there's hmm. Yeah. Hey Ugg, where you go with big club <laughs> in your hand? Me go down club old lady. <laughs> Connor messing around ook from K 14.
0: <laughs>
1: Connor making Zug
0: <Zug-Zug> Zug with <laughs> Go, go down Mexico way. <laughs> All yeah. right. So yes. moving on to the 17th. All right. Bear with me. <laughs> Bear with me, because just reading reading this right now is lo- just like I like, love like, I wish I want to say this first. I love finding
1: these and then you getting them because yeah, listening yeah. to you like listening to you send out all this stuff is surprisingly funny for me.
0: I, I tried reading it once and I like smelt burnt <laughs> toast. So <laughs> December December the seventeenth. I can't only raise one hand. What just happened? So December the seventeenth, thirteen ninety-eight. <laughs> Tyroline captures and sacks dali defeating sultan Nasir udin mahmud Me- it's,
1: it's all right it's it's sultan Nasser udin mahmud sultan
0: Nasser udin mahmud's armies okay so let's try this again yes 1398 Tamerlane ca- Cup- captures and sacks dali defeating sultan naser udin Mechmud Medmud Medmud's armies <laughs> by setting camels loaded with hay on fire. <laughs> and then charging him at the sultan's armored elephants. Let's dissect this, shall we? Yeah. Well, you know, this one's funny because where else uh, y- you'll never – This because uh, – it's so because it's, it's funny that <laughs> this guy was like, all right, you got your armored elephants. Huh? <laughs> uh, well, take this. <laughs> you ain't got flaming camels, do flaming, you? Flaming do you? camels
1: trump, trumps armored elephants any day, you know? Yep. The worst part was that once the elephants had all stormed off, Tamerlane's second army, like the, the army of his, like usually there's archers, but his guys were throwing flaming chipmunks at the
0: sultan's soldiers. Do <laughs> you remember the old tick cartoon from the 90s? Yes. Uh, somebody had a poodle gun. I just thought that was the most hilarious thing. Just using animals as weapons just is like hilarious to me. There's poodle guns and they also like were launching sharks out of like a... cat. Uh, a cannon. Yes. Yes. So, th- yes. So here's this guy. All right. Tamerlane. 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 He captures... Del-
1: yeah. Well, Del- I well, mean, Delhi still... It's still a city. It's still in, in uh, India. Tamerlane was yeah, a Turkish he- king. All
0: right. So this guy, like, got a bunch of camels and set them on fire and just, like, charge at right. this guy's armored elephants think plan b was I, like I, hey if this if this doesn't work right yeah if this doesn't if this doesn't
1: work like i don't know what, what else what else can we set on fire let's get some ostriches or, in here you
0: know or better yet better than what was plan b what was the plan that somebody suggested and they said no that's stupid
1: well, all i can imagine <laughs> is like somebody rolls out a scroll and there's drawing of all these war elephants and they say, like, we have the plans to the Sultan's Death Star. That's, like, what this is, right? <laughs> and they say, we need to find the thing that's going to make these elephants run away. What do we know that scares elephants? I don't know if the thing that scares elephants are camels or fire in this instance.
0: I just remember on cartoons the camels being, I mean, the elephants being afraid of a mouse, which was probably the first plan. They well, sent the, a bunch <laughs> of mice. in the-, <laughs> the
1: problem was they wouldn't get far enough. They'd only go a couple of feet and they'd be dead, yeah. They
0: they could just shoot mice with a slingshot.
1: Well, the thing is, like, think about how hard it must have been to sort of... You know, build up a continuous army in the ages before, like, real metalworking and machine tools and motors and other things, where eventually you're going to run out of giant things to throw at one another. War elephants are pretty much the Death Star at that point, and there's nowhere to go. Like, you've reached the technological limit. It's not like I can put a blue whale on wheels and use that. (laughs) So you're stuck. You hit this ceiling, and whoever has the most elephants, I guess, wins. Until you end up with something like this, like, aha, maybe I don't need all those elephants. I just have camels on fire. camels flaming camel all right (laughs) let's move on to the 18th what do you got december 18th 1966 dr seuss's how the grinch stole christmas airs for the very first time on television it airs on cbs and i think that has literally run every year since
0: and then adam west leans in actually actually it was was on nbc
1: (laughs) golly G. williger's (laughs) batman holy wrong networks batman but no yes uh the how the grinch stole christmas which is it's been it's they've made some little edits to it here and there i think The same way they did with, like, the Charlie Brown Christmas and some of the other ones as time has gone on. For the most part, this one is still probably almost everybody's first introduction to Boris Karloff, and they don't even realize it. That's Boris Karloff, who does the reading of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, with songs put on by, I forget the guy's name, but he played Mr. Sharofsky on Fame. It's the guy who wrote the songs.
0: Um, Uh, Do you know who did the voice? Well, I mean, that's Boris Karloff, but the guy who sang the Grinch song. Do you remember who that is? You're a mean warden, Mr. Yep. Grinch. Is it the guy that wrote the jingle for McDonald's? No. Good oh. guess, though. No. Thurl Ravenscroft. Yeah, the name just rolls right off the tip of the tongue. It was sung by Thurl Ravenscroft, right? Uh, yeah, it, it, the name Thurl is just... Oh, I've got say. all of
1: his records. I've got Thurl Ravenscroft live at the... Hold on. ...Heartbreaker Hold on. Mansion, and... Th-
0: yeah, well, you, you just spit out something. Thurl Ravenscroft did the narration for the Haunted Mansion at Disney World. Oh, I've never been there. And he's also... The voice of the original Tony the Tiger. Really? Yeah. The guy that sang the Grinch song is the guy that did the voice for the original Tony the Tiger. Well, all he said is, they're
1: great. Yeah. I'm going to eat your children. They cut that part out, the second part out.
0: You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I
1: sprayed your couch. It smells like ammonia. Your
0: your friend and mine, Mojo Nixon, put out a Christmas album. And if you don't know Mojo Nixon, then your Mm. store could use some fixing. Yep. But Mojo Nixon put out a Christmas album called Horny Holidays that is magnificent. He does it with the Toad Lickers? Yes, it is with yeah. the Toad Lickers, yep. From top to bottom, that is like the only Christmas album I like. He does an immaculate cover of the Grinch song.
1: Oh, really? Yep. Like, I can imagine that in Mojo style. Yep.
0: Link in description. It is
1: awesome. Well, so what was that guy's name? R- Raven Croft, Throat
0: Mangler? What was his name? Yeah, Thurl. Thurl Thurl T-H-U-R-L. Thurl's Ravencroft. Thurl
1: Ravencroft. Yep. If I ever have another animal, that's what I'm going to name it. It's a good name for like a fish.
0: That's a great. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to name your dog that because Which if it th- runs away, you won't be able to call it back. Right.
1: Thurl Raven. They'll just think you're rave, a raving lunatic outside. Have you seen my dog? Thurl Ravencroft.
0: Oh, they'll be like, oh, he's a freaking yeah. oh, Harry you, Potter right.
1: nerd. Ugh. Uh, well, what, what did he escape from Hogwarts? Like, go <laughs> jump in a fire. A
0: flaming camel fire. Uh, Moving on to the 19th, we have another one that is just bizarre. (laughs) So December 19th, 1922, Teresa Vaughn at the age of 24, confesses in court in Sheffield, England, to being married 61 times over a five-year period in 50 cities in three different countries. Let's dissect this, shall we?
1: This is before Tinder. Yes. This is before online dating. This is 1922, where chances are she met all these guys through, like, newspaper ads. So she was doing the, uh, if you like pina coladas, getting caught in the rain.
0: I know in this day and age that slut-shaming is
1: frowned upon, but yeah. I, I don't know. There's no. There's <laughs> nothing in this story that says that she was consummating the marriages. But she was certainly was certainly was going through the whole like. Oh, these gifts are lovely. Oh, <laughs> another waffle iron. <laughs> I'm sure it was something like that, and and just. Uh, yeah. I must put this in the back room, and then boom, she takes off. Like pulls two of the buttons off the dress, changes the flowers, runs to another church, and marries some other dude. And
0: now here's the thing. Okay, she is 24 years old. So that means she started this when she was 19. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's ambitious. That seems
1: to be the magic year for like young adults with insane talents for something that's unnecessary, that's trivial to uh-huh. for it to really blossom. You know, which is why my neither of my children will do that because they're already getting to the point where they're not going to blossom at nineteen like this and determine <laughs> that they have some weird ass superpower like being able to get married sixty one times for, once a month every month. Yeah.
0: Well, oh. and one month had two. It must that must have been the leap year, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah, that's every month. My God. I'd like to see a picture of this young lady because I bet you she was a doll. <laughs> she was. Now, I've worked in the Renaissance Fairs for, ooh, uh, I guess like the last 17 years. And I, I don't travel, although I have. You know, I have uh, gone down and worked in Florida. Mm-hmm. But there's some people, that's what they do. They work at one Renaissance Fair and they pick up and they move to the next Renaissance Fair and work at that. Right, I, know, right. I know several people that, that do that. Now, there was this one girl and name redacted she had three fiancés in three different parts of the country and she had now this is only three i mean she's got a long way to go before she catches up to old Teresa over here yeah yeah Um, she used to keep the engagement rings in little boxes with like a little piece of masking tape on top of the box that would say texas florida you know boston whatever and uh so she would know which engagement ring to where when she went to one particular town where that particular fiance was. Nice. That's it's yeah. good
1: that it's good that you have planning when you're going to do that.
0: Did she get caught? You bet your sweet ass she did.
1: And guarantee you one of those three guys was like,
0: I'll give her another chance. Now, think about Teresa Vaughn over here. She got married uh 61 times, right? Right. Now that's a lot of little boxes with a lot of little name tags on it. Basically, there are 60 guys out there saying, yeah, I got married a couple of years ago and I never saw her again. <laughs> yeah, yes.
1: Uh, I'm not sure that I'm still married because she vanished halfway through the vows. If she kept up
0: with all of them, imagine that if she maintained the I, marriages with all of them.
1: I can't even imagine. It would have been like a, like a 1970s Blake Edwards movie where she's like running from room to room in a hotel. <laughs> you know? You can I hear the music this- like doors opening and closing everywhere and people in tuxedos running back and forth across the hallway
0: I was just going to compare it to Chinese juggling there with the plate spinning
1: that's a good metaphor too
0: some poor woman
1: in a wedding dress going back and forth trying to keep these things up you know you can't do that forever apparently you could do it for five years though
0: Countries mostly I'm just tired
1: I gotta go to a wedding this weekend really who is mine how do you think the bridesmaids felt like another one? I got to get didn't- another dress. Oh,
0: can't you at least use the lavender one again? There must have been at least one guy out of the bunch. Some poor schlub. She said no to. <laughs> <laughs> that guy like, yep. Yeah. Hey, are you going to ask me to marry you? Because, you know, I got to trade a cab.
1: Look, marry me in the cab on the way there. We'll get it finalized some other time. Tell your mother I said hello.
0: I'm sure there was one guy who was
1: staying there and he's like, wait a minute. Didn't I see you at... Like, John's wedding, like, 18 months ago?
0: As the bride? Maybe she accidentally married some guy twice, too. Oops. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, he didn't have the mustache last time. (laughs) And think about this, too. That's an average of once a month. If she went, like, a couple of months, you know, without marrying somebody, this catch-up time over there, this two or three in a week. Right. Yes, it's terrible. All right, let's move on to the 20th.
1: All right, December 20th, 1812, Grimm's Fairy Tales or Children and Household Tales by Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm is first published. Now, you may be asking yourselves, or you may be asking yourself, Bill, who are the Grimm brothers and what the hell are you talking
0: about with Grimm's Fairy Tales? Well... I'm pretty sure I read. I think I know who they are. They're the ones that, like any kind of fairy tale that we think about. They wrote like y- Little Red it, Riding Hood. It's and yes, LaGrette, right? it's,
1: it's exactly. It's easy to mix their stuff up with the Mother Goose stories that came later, mm-hmm. be, but they're not the same at all. Okay, Grimm's fairy tales are. It's ironic, but not ironic that their names are grim because the fairy tales generally end with a life lesson in which the children who are the stars of each tale get eaten by something, whether it's Uh a witch or a wolf or some other terrible thing. But usually it's their stories that are about consequences for not doing what you're supposed to do. And that's why those stories have carried on. They are usually talked about in the same sort of description as the morality tales of Aesop's fables, because they do the same job. They illustrate behavior and the consequences of not following that behavior to young children in a way that's, both fantastical and uh, often terrible but not not unrelatable you know another one of theirs i believe is uh the boy who cried wolf oh yeah he gets snacked on he's like begging strips at the end of that story
0: (laughs) a lot of those old stories that you know got disneyfied like later on and stuff like that are like tremendously violent and dark like if you've actually ever read the original wizard of oz It's dark. If you were to make something that went right by the book, it's, yeah, you'd be making some, this like gothic uh, kind of thing. Like everybody talks about how, like, almost horror movie like Return to Oz is. Mm -hmm. And that's like, well, yeah, it's because the the original book's a freaking horror movie, too. What's the other one that's like that, too? It was like, I couldn't, oh, Pinocchio. Have you ever read the original Pinocchio? I have never read the original Pinocchio. Nope. He's a Dick, like, like the character Pinocchio is such, like, is such a jerk. Like everybody just, like, does everything for him, gives him all these chances, and he's just like, well, t- f- you, I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want. Goddamn wooden boy, into the fireplace with you. Better yet,
1: put him on a camel.
0: Said <laughs> <laughs> this flaming camel, you'll okay.
1: Yeah. General
0: yeah. Pinocchio,
1: <laughs> you're going to yeah. be leading the charge against the war elephants today.
0: Yeah, and you know what's really effed up about the uh, about the original Pinocchio? Jim, you know, it's not Jiminy Cricket, it's just the Cricket. But the Cricket's yeah. over there trying to tell him what to do? He kills him. Right? Yeah, Pinocchio's a dick. Squish, dead yeah. Cricket. Dead Cricket. Dead Cricket. So uh, let's get on to the birthdays. So December the 14th, 1503, your friend and mine nostradamus oh hey look at that you like the tonality in my voice
1: nostradamus hey sound Super excited that he's your first birthday here.
0: Yeah. Well, Nostradamus was a, quote, unquote, seer. He wrote a lot of, like, short poems, and then they got broken up into a bunch of, like, quadrants or whatever. Quatrains, yes. Quatrains, yeah. They're, like, super vague and crazy. They're just, like, really avant-garde poems, really. You know, people kind of got the impression that this guy could see into the future. Right, but it's always like you look back now and, and read this like poem and like, oh, wait, he was obviously talking about this. You know, I remember whenever 9-11 happened, people were like bringing up out this quad train that he wrote that kind of like predicted nine eleven. And I'm thinking like, right. well, predicting the future retroactively is bullshit.
1: yeah you can't predict the
0: future retroactively predicting the future Uh, retroactively is completely useless
1: i was reading one and realized that if i read it backwards it told me that paul mccartney was dead oh no (laughs) that's true the thing with, with Nostradamus and anything else is your brain makes, will make patterns. So right. ultimately, if, if you and I sat down under a false name and we wrote 25 quatrains and then put them in a time capsule for 50 years, somebody would read them and go like, filet fish sandwich and hot coffee makes for good food on every Friday. My God! He's talking about whatever this event is, where the fish rebelled, you know. We don't know anything about that, but they will.
0: All right, moving on to the 15th. Who do you got?
1: December 15th, 1933, Tim Conway. I know him best from his work on The Carol Burnett Show. He was also in McHale's Navy. And he was the voice of Barnacle Boy for years and years and years on SpongeBob SquarePants.
0: Oh, that was him. No kidding.
1: That was Tim Conway. That's right. So speaking of characters who are like Robin from Batman and Robin. Yep. So imagine Batman and Robin that's he's the Robin character of that to Ernest Borgnine's Mermaid Man. Funny funny dude especially when he paired with Harvey Corman.
0: Uh he was great when he paired up with Don Knotts too like in The Prize Fighter. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Oh, I remember my father loving that movie. Unfortunately the thing that he really will be remembered for was the uh, the character he did Dorf. Uh, yeah. Where his uh his legs were underneath a platform. And yep. he just wore shoes like around his knees to make it look like yeah. he was really short. Yeah, he did a lot of shorts <laughs> uh, with Dorf. Yeah, I remember they used to well, sell those videos all the time. He
1: was one of the guys that made a, a, a business out of selling selling comedy videos outside of the regular. When the Carol Burnett show went off, he wasn't on anything. He was right. he was out of work for years and years. Yep. So for him to take that cartoon and like directly market it to people, I'm sure he sold a million thousand tons. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of those VHS tapes to people like me who enjoy filet of fish sandwiches and, and black coffee, because you're like, "Oh, that Tim Conway, he's so funny! <laughs> Look, it's Dorf on golf, ho 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 ho!" And then I had to complete my collection with Dorf on a table and Dorf on near the car.
0: Uh, next up on the 60th, another comedian, uh, born in 1961, the late great Bill Hicks. Yes, Bill Hicks is uh, one of those comedians. Kind of like Lenny Bruce, where a lot of his mm-hmm. stuff was controversial. People didn't realize his brilliance until kind of after he was gone.
1: Now he died of pancreatic cancer, right? Yes, I think he that's did. what that's what took him out. Yeah.
0: Yep. He was a heavy smoker. He used to smoke on stage. He used to make a lot of jokes about it. Like I say, he he was he was one of those comedians where he like in the in the spirit of George Carlin too, where he wasn't just making jokes. He was doing like a lot of social commentary too. Right. So that truth teller mantle,
1: right? That's yeah. kind of what he got for his you know. Right. That sort of wise jester, the sad, the satirist who points out the ridiculous bullshit, even to the point where it's, it's even funny as tragic as it really is. And he doesn't have to go far right. for you to see the tragedy in it. Yeah.
0: After he died, he was dead for a few years, but there was a big, like Bill Hicks resurgence in popularity. Christ, I don't even remember where it was, but I remember like there was all these CDs that you could buy of all of his old stuff. I bought a bunch of them. Right. I, I always like
1: His them. specials keep showing up on like the streaming services too. Yeah. They don't seem to cycle too far off of them. So if they're on Netflix for three months, the next month they'll be on Hulu for three months and the next month they'll be on Prime for three months and then they'll be back on Netflix. All right, next. December 17th, 1975. Russian-born actress Mila Jovovich is, is leashed, unleashed upon the world. You may best remember her from her take in all 4,526 direct-to-DVD films in the Resident Evil franchise.
0: I like the Resident Evil franchise. Well, put it this way. I like the movies a lot better than I like the video games.
1: Or in the only good film that she's ever been in,
0: <laughs> The Fifth
1: <laughs> Element, where she has almost no lines for the first hour that she's in that movie. Yes, uh, but then when yes. she does start to talk, she's super funny. Yeah, she was, she got married to Luke Besson, I think, after The Fifth Element was done.
0: She is not aware of this, but she's my girlfriend. Oh, she is your girlfriend. She's a very attractive young lady.
1: Yes, she also put out a folky record. This is... I don't Stop know, it! Twenty years? No. Yeah, no. She's got a she's got a record that came out some some years back. I want to say it was like around two thousand. It's a record. <laughs> so what's what happened on December eighteenth, Bill? Uh, uh, December, who got born?
0: December eighteenth, nineteen forty three. Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones,
1: the oldest man in the world as we know him.
0: Keith Richards is seventy seven years old. Now 77's a good age. Okay. I just watched Ford Fairlane last night. Ford Fairlane yes. with Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, Ford, I remember that movie. Fort Philane makes a joke. He says to this uh, kid that's like trying to be a rock star, he goes, Look at you. Keith Richards is rolling over in his freaking grave. And the guy's not even dead yet. All right. Now, that movie came out 30 years ago. Keith, <laughs> Keith Richards is 77. That would have made him 47 at the yep. time that movie came out. 47. And,
1: and-, <laughs> and at 47, he looked like he was 77 exactly it's, keith richards it's 77 he looks like he's 777 years old
0: keith richards has looked like death warmed over basically his entire life if you ever see young pictures of keith richards you're like that's not keith richards keith richards right. looks like an, an apple carving
1: is what uh, he a, sh- a shrunken apple head doll yeah
0: yeah
1: <laughs> all right next up december 19th 1940 another singer-songwriter phil Oaks. He was most often known for the songs that he did that were protesting the Vietnam War and being part of the wars over gatherings and demonstrations and stuff. But he spent a lot of time on TV right at the end point of when American folk was super popular nationwide so bob dylan had just started to cross over and start to do electric guitar stuff mm-hmm. as phil oaks was getting into his second and third and fourth records
0: could you name a phil oaks song for me because i don't know who he is
1: yeah sure 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 there's like love me i'm a liberal that's one of his political oh songs. i know that there's... song
0: yeah uh
1: jell alfred, alfred. mojo nixon did that yes there's an adaptation of the highwayman by alfred Noyes which is a long poem that we all probably had to read in middle school. The war is over, but tons of stuff along with Americana stuff that like Woody Guthrie would have would have sung as well. He ended up demonstrating symptoms of schizophrenia later in his career, went way off, kind of off the deep end and then in 1976 he took his own life. Uh, but his records are really really interesting and you can hear that that sort of the last death rattle of American out of New York City folk music.
0: Oh here's another singer songwriter coming up december 20th 1945 peter Chris from the rock band kiss like i I mentioned before i read all four of the autobiographies of the original guys from kiss we both grew up being big kiss fans and stuff like that reading those books is interesting because all of the personalities that you kind of come to know are absolutely true like you know gene simmons is all about money and girls paul stanley is the big showman ace fraley is a a space shot but you don't really know too much about peter chris peter chris all three of the other guys kind of call him he's a bit of a ding dong and then you read peter chris's book and you're like oh yeah he is kind of a bit of a ding dong (laughs) right what you didn't realize uh, going behind the scenes at that like for kiss kiss didn't really start making money until 70s like they, they started in 72 73 and they didn't really start make, even though they were big, you know, and they were selling all these records and all that. They didn't really right. start making money until seventy six or seventy seven, right?
1: So, and I know, and you know why? It's because they'd make a record, tour for six or eight weeks, while they were also making a record, and they had a record come out like every six months for the first five years that they were a band,
0: right? Peter, Chris, to make a little extra cash on the side was. A coke dealer within the band.
1: Nice. Yeah. So you like, gotta have a side hustle.
0: Yeah, like like the engineers for uh, you know the records or the people that worked at the recording studios that they were you know recording at and stuff like that. Yeah, they would go see him. He was selling. Uh, they would sell them coke.
1: Jeez. I, I listened to some interviews with him that were that were done within the last year or so, mm-hmm. and he talked about his relationship with the band. And I keep seeing stories like. Kiss will reform for another United tour in 2021, and after listening to, these, to the interviews that I've heard, I don't imagine that that will happen.
0: No, he can't. Um, he can't play drums anymore. His hands, you know. You know he's he's uh, 73. Yeah, right? no, so 40. Yeah. No, 45. He's 75.
1: Like I said, he's an interesting dude. He's older than the other members of Kiss. Yep. From listening to Paul Stanley's descriptions of like when he was fired from the band and why, mm-hmm. and listening to his descriptions about why he walked off of the last reunion tour. Or why they didn't renew his contract and stuff like goes on to prove the fact that like there's no such thing as truth. There just is, there are events that are just seen from different perspectives. Right. Spent a long time listening to KISS over the last couple of weeks, and uh I forgot how how much I enjoyed their older records.
0: He sang the song Beth. Yes. And that was Kiss's biggest hit. I think I Was Made for Loving You actually did better. Beth was that big breakout song for for Kiss. So Peter Chris kinda Beth? he saw himself as like you know, the big star of the band. You know, he quit the band to have this, like, solo career, which he thought he was going to do awesome with, but he ended up inadvertently writing... The Worst Song Ever. (laughs) But The Worst Song Ever This Week is not by Peter Chris. What is our contender this week? The, The
1: Worst Song Ever This Week comes to us from the year of our Lord, 1993. I remember this song because it was monstrously popular. And it was the first time that the songwriter and the song singer worked had worked together again since the 1970s. And of course, I'm talking about songwriter Jim Steinman and song singer Meatloaf, or Meatloaf a Day, however you want to call him. The song we're talking about is I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That, from the smartly named Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell album.
0: <laughs> well, so wait, the guy that wrote the songs on the... Original masterpiece, *Bad Out of Hell*. Also wrote this piece of tripe.
1: Yep, and he wrote all the other crappy songs on it too, <laughs> uh, like the cleverly named "Objects in the Rearview Mirror May Appear Closer Than They Are," which actually contains that as the chorus.
0: Oh, well, I remember that. So that's really bad too. The thing with this, uh, with this song, uh, I will do anything for love. Well, before we even get into it, let's let's play the clip. Let's let's state okay. let's state our case. Yes. Okay, so the thing with this song is, you know, the big joke, it kind of leans back to that other song there by Alanis Morissette, Ironic, where there's actually nothing ironic about that song, where in this song, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. What on God's freaking green earth are you talking about, Meatloaf? love
1: Look, some, sometimes, look, I'm just going to put this out there. Sometimes you want to go sing karaoke or you're trapped in traffic in your car. Mm-hmm. and you want to scream along to a bunch of nonsense words and sentences that make you sound like you're having a stroke and trying to find a way to call for help and that's what this song is if you were and I'm I have this on good authority if you were to sit down and literally write out the lyrics to this song by the time you got to the end your brain would be broken
0: it's like one of those mysteries and it's it's not even like I'm coming up with this like brilliant piece of uh, social commentary cuz it's been brought up before but like you won't you won't do what? What, just, well, just, look, what is it? What are you talking about?
1: Let me just say this, Bill. Sometimes it don't come easy. And sometimes <laughs> it don't come hard. Some days it don't come at all. And these are the days that never end. What? What the hell are you talking about, Meatloaf? You know? But it sounds good when you're singing it with a tremendous amount of angsty soul, even though it makes absolutely no sense in any way. Ridiculous.
0: Some people write the songs that make the whole world sing. Some uh, people write the songs of love and special things. I feel like you're giving me a hint here. And some people write television jingles. At the beginning of the show, I asked, uh, a, a famous musician wrote the, uh, uh, the jingles for television sure. for, I, yeah. I am stuck on Band-Aids, Band-Aids stuck on me, and McDonald's famous, you deserve a break today. And the one we all know uh, more modernly is the like a good neighbor State Farm is there who wrote those jingles. Okay,
1: I feel like you may have given me a, a, a hint that is meant to throw me off guard because he writes the songs that make the whole world sing. Was not written by Barry Manilow, and I can't remember who wrote that song, but it wasn't him. So but was it the guy that wrote?
0: Nope, nope. The answer the song is for Barry Manilow. Nope. The answer absolutely is Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow. Get, get yep. out of Dodge. Yep. Get the Go to helicopter school. Uh, oh my gosh! Shut the I, front door. Chocolate chip cookies, uh, <laughs> cheese and I remember, rice. I
1: remember watching a, like a, and like an ABC Friday night special concert with yeah. with Barry Manilow in like 1974 with my babysitter Sheila mm-hmm. and my mom. And when he described his shoes, which were Adidas, as Adidas, and I thought like <laughs> that is the coolest guy ever. My not realizing D. D. Yeah, not realizing that he was not. And, I, of course, I was like six years old.
0: He uh, he also wrote um, uh, jingles for Stridex, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Pepsi. Jeez Louise. Yep. Who's laughing now? But that is going to wrap it up for this week. Uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Have a great week, everyone. Say goodnight, Jeff.
1: night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibly or TWWWBLY. Subscribe if you haven't already, and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week.
0: And it'll probably be better. Apparently I'm not so good at math on my phone either. Hold on. Mm. Come on! I don't want who nobody uses Bixby.